You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 441, the gargantuan quiz, records we never want to hear again, and what's the deal with Anna Meredith? That's all coming up after John Lennon and Instant Karma. I remember this uh, causing quite a stir at the time of its release. It was notable for the short time between its composition and its release. It was written in mid-January 1970, recorded at Abbey Road on January 27th, and released as a single on the Apple label 10 days later, on the 6th of February. So it was really quick. And then five days later, John, Yoko and the Plastic Owner Band were on top of the pops promoting it. So uh, very, very speedy from A to Z. uh, With this track, number five in the UK, number three on the Billboard Hot 100 in February 1970 John Lennon and instant karma truly instant karma there by the sound of it yeah with the with, with the length of the recording project just goes to show all that all that fanning around in, in Abbey Road they could mm. really pull it out when they wanted to couldn't they exactly so um welcome to the podcast from the parish council it's episode 441 i'm terence dackham and despite shuffles and reshuffles she remains secretary of state for podcasts it's julia harris that's very kind and thank you i was expecting to get uh, bundled off to everybody's favorite punishment transport but uh, unfortunately i or rather fortunately depending on your point of view mm-hmm. i am here long may i reign hello indeed so we arrive at our opening feature loved with a passion from coast to coast all over the world it's the gargantuan quiz um, it is the, the ginormous quiz mm. I, I once worked with a colleague who hated hybrid words 
she she had a real no. issue with them. So because I had a bit of an issue with her, to, to be frank, <laughs> I, used to, uh, I used to try and a bit take care to talk about you know gig- uh, uh, gigantic, ginormous um, uh, staycation. We used to use that quite a lot. Uh, any, anything that we could we could excuse we could find for a hybrid uh, guesstimate. That was another particularly low. Mm. Use all the time, particularly on the phone as well, when you can do anything about it. Anyway, those were the days. On the quiz this week, the contestants are now. Let, let me just check uh, my. Yes, I say yes. They are you, the listener, and you, the Juliet Harris. So that is me. Good. That is the me. Thank you. Hello. I'm going to play you five snippets of music on a theme, and you have to tell me the answers hmm. to that theme, and you get an extra point for each of the artists you can name. And as all the snippets this week are by the Beatles, you're clearly off to a flying start with oh, naming wow. the this, artists. This is really good. Thank you. <laughs> each of these Beatles songs um, have numbers in the title, Ooh. and um, I want to know the numbers. So five songs in 30 seconds. Move over once, move over twice. Come on, baby, don't be going then Juliet Lucy Harris let's see how you get on with naming the numbers and see if you can get the artists there. <laughs> well I, I, I have a hunch that the first one might be the Beatles um oh, well done. I, yes it is the Beatles yes Woo. um the, the second one a little bit more difficult because they had many revolutions there were there were different, oh, yes. yeah. different versions of revolution i'll this give it to you because you know that you've got the track so the, i agree with you it's revolution number one i think it is but uh yeah there is revolution revolution number one is the rather sort of laid back acoustic type version of the rather howling revolution um there was also i've disappointed you didn't go for revolution number nine to be honest i i probably would have died if no, that no, was me no. so uh Regret, regrettably not, but no, that was revolution number one. And the second one was the fabulous Beatle Boys again. It was the Beatles. Well and done. You've got a point, yes. With eight days a week. Correct. Four out of four. Excellent. The next one is, is well, it is a trick question that it's the Beatles again. It's which just the Beatles. Well done. Did it, I did. Um, but there's there's uh, there's two numbers in Indeed. this. Indeed. Oh, it's a trick. It was a trick. It but is you've, a trick, but I'm, trick. I'm, I'm just about equal to to it i believe it's one it's a uh, one after 909 oh i thought that might be the one that got you and the listener but you're right well uh, it isn't it well done for spotting the beatles there yeah, absolutely that was the hardest part of that um yeah, number, number four. make it make an unscheduled return for number four um uh with when i'm 64 Yes, it was the Beatles and it was 64. Very good. Now, let's see if you can come up with a clean sweep. Can mm-hmm. you spot the artist for the fifth one? That might be a bit difficult. Well, it's, it, well the, the artist, I'm going to take a wild guess. Yeah. And it sounds a bit like it might be the Beatles. It was the Beatles. Yes, well, well done. And I can't play this with the straight bat anymore. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. and, um, and the last one, rather rather neglected in their, in their sort of uh, their, their, their canon of work. But I rather like this, particularly as it comes and the, the sort of the complete disintegration that was let it be i think but i think this is rather sweet it is two of us well done 10 out of 10 hey i mean five out of five really because i'm not i'm not dreadful <laughs> sure we can count the other five but still i've got a task for the listener at home or possibly in the car it might be a bit more difficult in the car what i want to know is if you add all those numbers together what do you get so um, I'm, I, you've got the rest of the podcast to add them up and I'll tell you at the end of the podcast what the answer is. So add all those numbers together from the Beatles uh, uh, five tracks. I'm waiting with the listeners to see if I'm correct. OK, we'll see at the end. I, I, sometimes in an idle moment, if I'm listening to solo Beatles records, like we heard at Instant Karma earlier, I stare into space and I try... And imagine how they would sound if the other three were all featured and they were recorded at Abbey Road with George Martin, like in the old days. But I don't know. I come back to reality then and think, well, maybe it was for the best that they did split up when they did it. Because I was thinking, had they continued into the 70s, 
they might have got sucked into 1970s disco remixes of uh, like Tomorrow Never Knows or do it, doing more, you know, sort of really terrible films with Bruce Forsyth and Barbara well, Windsor. Maybe. Or, or they might have they might have still split up because it might have been that some of their number would have been happy to do that and some of them wouldn't. Yes, yes. Or imagine them getting caught up in the chaos of punk. Um, that would have been. I can't. I can't imagine. Although having said that. McCartney particularly, and I know he, he's had an advantage of having lived through the whole period and still being alive. But McCartney yes. to have this have this ability to sort of shape shift. So I wondered if he if he continued to lead them, whether or not he would lead them through safely. I don't know. On the, I think in the bigger picture, maybe it was better it, it, the way it all ended when it did. Absolutely. Coming next, records we never want to hear again. <laughs> I mean, there are so many, but we've heard. <laughs> That's right after this unusual but splendidly perky track from Little Roy.
is such a great cover version. I happened to cross it on the radio the other day. I didn't have any familiarity with with this at all, with Little Roy or the fact that he had done an entire album of uh, Nirvana covers called Brilliantly The Battle for Seattle, which I'm a huge fan of that as a sort of a, as a, as a wit. Um, I think this is probably the pick from that album, but there are some excellent versions on it. Uh, this is Little Roy. Uh, to fit in with our sort of upbeat songs that are sad, um, that is Elysium, by, originally by Nirvana. And I, I just find that incredibly infectious version i hadn't come before come across it before it's absolutely wonderful really strange idea but beautifully done it is there was really really loved it i mean there was a similar there was a dub there was a dub reggae version of okay computer i think as well by radio which is also excellent so it's weird i was i dj'd at something between christmas and new year and there was there was someone doing reggae versions of things and they did lots of reggae records that were covers and I remember my friend said there is a reggae version of every song that has ever been made if you dig hard enough mm-hmm, I, I think so, that yeah. is that is evidence that is evidence in favor of that argument I think <laughs> there's a special category of records um specific tracks that I suspect many of us will recognize they're records that we never want to hear again but not terrible records that were terrible at the time like Mr Blobby or Blurred Lines or anything by Peter Andre um <laughs> poor old <laughs> it seems a harmless soul I think he doesn't quite deserve that kicking are we talking about records that were almost always very successful often seen as classics as, you, as, they, as we might say but as the years wear on you increasingly find these records tiresome and then irritating and then finally you rush to switch them off when they pop up on the radio as they inevitably will um this week in your the guardian um juliet um several writers have nominated their much-loved tracks that become or have be- became oral nightmares so we thought we would share our top picks uh unasked for but we're still giving you them um <laughs> Entire, but this entire um, sort of podcast is essentially un- unasked for, isn't it? But still. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. Um, so tell us a couple of yours, uh, Jules. Well, I mean, I've found this piece very interesting because they're songs that that are otherwise, like you say, otherwise good songs that just just come to so irritating. Um, I'm going to pick two songs, which which by artists who I I rather support and rather like, Mm. and the songs themselves are not bad, but they suffered from that terrible, terrible beast that is radio overplay to the Mm. point of saturation, and they both come from the same era, which is sort of the mid to late '90s when I used to get a bus to school that used to have the radio on and we would always badger for Radio 1 and we would never get Radio 1. The the driver would always insist on our local commercial station which was called, um, it was originally Southern Sound. It depends how old you are and how far you want to back it was sort of based in brighton but but serviced the entire coastline so so we in hastings used to get that so we had we had sudden it was sudden sound and then it became sudden fm and then eventually it now is part of the heart network unfortunately and is rather less localized but uh, the two songs that i absolutely remember to the point where people would actually groan when the in, when the when the introduction started which is a pity because the first one particularly i think deserves a lot better than this is don't speak by no doubt which is rather i like no doubt a lot i like gwen stefani a lot but i probably unwittingly heard don't speak two or three times a day for about nine months of my life and I i just can't bear to hear it anymore it's it's a good song a really good song hence why it got played all the time it was a victim of its own success i think but i i am tired of don't speak very earwormy sorry to interrupt it's very earwormy isn't it in a a possibly irritating way yes absolutely it's it's, the problem is is it's a really good well-constructed ballad i always have a little bit of an issue with ballads anyway so so i i i get sick of them before i get sick of anything else by and large but i think it's it seems to me that it feels like because it is so overwrought in parts which it really is i mean she seemed to write it about a genuine situation which is basically splitting up with one of the members of her band um and like i say i like gwen sestrani a lot generally i think she's really talented i think no doubt i've done some great records i think we played on the podcast once their version of it's my life by talk talk which was great um but 
I just uh, the more the more often I hear it, as you say, I find the the overwrought nature of it to be irritating rather than affecting. So so I could do without that. I could also do on a similar level without hearing "Torn" by Natalie Imbruglia. Oh right, every yeah. single day again, quite like Natalie Imbruglia. She made some like a lot of people that started off as kind of pop people and she was let's not forget a, a neighbor's spin-off which is how she came mm-hmm. to attention but she actually made some of her most interesting records when people weren't looking actually she uh, she did something called that day which had a really odd time signature that was very Alanis Morissette that was really good but I just find Torn to be so so ubiquitous that I just can't deal with it anymore really. Mm. UB40 they started life as a genuinely oh. alternative band. Yeah, absolutely. With- meaningful songs and a lot of goodwill from reggae and ska lovers they came along soon after two-tone and kind of it felt like they were hewn from the same roots at the beginning now that was at the beginning but by oh 1983 their singles were reaching lower and lower places in the charts and oh dear they hit upon the idea of covering neil diamond's red red wine oh and yes it zoomed to number one here in the uk and america and all around the world but rather like you were describing with no doubt, as the years rolled by, I found um, in this case the vocal to sound, oddly enough, um, really whiny, increasingly mm. red, red, whiny. Well, um, well it's, it's reed, reed wine, if you're Yes, yes. And it is rather reedy and rather whiny, yeah. I, the whole thing plods and it hurts my ears. I, it's one of those ones I hurtle to the radio to switch stations mm. if red, red wine comes on. Um, now, nobody other than his immediate fam- family, loves Paul McCartney more than me. Um, Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I, I, me, me and my friends also attend the Church of Paul. We are yeah, be- if, ever I'm, if ever I met him, I, I can't rather fear I'd burst into tears, so I hope I never do meet him, so I'd make a fool of myself. He is an occasional user of my local train line, and I'm very, very happy oh. never to have come across him. My yes. friend did and sat opposite him and exchanged pleasantries about the weather and then took to Facebook to kind of have a slight breakdown about I it. Too. I mean, I, I try and hold it made together maybe while I was passing the time of day about the weather. But uh, yeah, yeah I, I, oh. a nice man by all accounts. He's fairly oh. localish to me. And um, and uh, he bumped into a friend of mine on the day of her wedding and, and sent, uh, wasn't able to have a picture with her because he said, oh, it's just all going to go crazy once people realise I'm, I'm here he was just walking around and he sent her a really nice card afterwards found out where she lived in central card which i thought was very nice but i the nearest i, I can do a semi an indirect paul mccartney McC- uh, counter uh, or mccounter if you will um, <laughs> I, um i managed to share a train with heather mills mccartney or as she then was mills on the way home after the, the mccartney divorce hearing with her odd gesturish suit and uh, didn't realize until i got out of the train and uh, her child ran in front of me. I was I had my path blocked by a large security person, and there was Heather Mills McCartney. So, uh, so what can I say? She still let the train take the train. Yeah, there was there was always a criticism um, that John Lennon had of Paul McCartney that mm. he liked writing granny songs, you know, yes. slightly sugary. When I'm 64, that we heard earlier, Martha, my dear. Um, I can handle those, but he went to extreme, extreme beyond my understanding, really, in 1977. Initially, Mull of Kintyre, it sounded reasonably cute, a tribute to the hmm. area in Scotland around his high park farm where he lived. And, oh, hark, how lovely, some bagpipes. Now, I doubt, <laughs> I'm, I'm really sorry about this, uh, people. Well, got, like, nobody has ever said, hark, how lovely, some bagpipes. Nobody, I, I mean, I, I admire you for trying to invest, I really do. I doubt there are many people born south of Hadrian's Wall that genuinely perk up at the sound of bagpipes and over the 40 years uh, 40 odd years of the life of Mull and Kintar, I've really wanted to stick a screwdriver in those bagpipes I have to say more <laughs> more irritating with every listen uh, reaction to this is is customarily restrained so <laughs> Well thought out as always. So from me, fare thee well, Mull of Kintar. Jules, what's your number one never want to hear ever again record? Well, I'm so I'm gonna I'm gonna pick this one. It was it was very much an either or for this for similar reasons. Um records that have spent the longest at number one in the oh, British charts. Yeah. So we had that terror that all of my records come from the 90s because I suppose that was the time at which I was most engaged with the charts, I guess, as a, as a child and a teenager. Um, we had that terrible run where we had um, 
Everything I do, I do it for you by Brian Adams. That that I think holds the record, Stuart. In endless, endless, terrible balladry. I haven't picked that because I think the brief was songs that weren't in themselves bad songs. <laughs> I, I can find little to like about everything I do. Whereas yeah. this song was a cover, and the, the original song was 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 rather sweet, I think, by by the Trogs. Oh, uh, I'm better yeah. for wild thing, um, perhaps. But um, wet, 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 doing love is all around. That uh, yeah, that 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 kept going and ended up one week short of Brian Adams's record. Just again, the kind of the uh, the, the the fact that the, one of the things that annoys me the most about it is the fact that it starts off with actually not a bad in, uh, instrumental introduction with this kind of you know very dramatic crash of guitars coming in and and you know kind of wait it's slightly wailing guitars and you think oh this might be quite good and then everything drops away and you just get feel anything oh no it's this oh and 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 like like you say i was getting to the point where i could be across the room and switch it off within three and a half seconds and i had to do that a lot because that was on a lot and actually the original song i mean it, it was covered and successful for a reason it was in the film it was in for weddings in the funeral mm. i did very much enjoy by the way the parody of that by richard curtis himself actually in uh, in love actually one of his later films where bill nye plays this aging rock star that has a monster hit with an adaptive version called christmas is all around me <laughs> and it opens with him keep singing the wrong words and says sorry i'm just so used to the originals so uh, i i'm glad that that richard curtis who you know whose films i don't all i mean i like to i like to for weddings in a funeral very much but richard curtis whose films are sometimes seen as being a bit soppy can at least laugh at himself which i think is good but yeah i have to say the problem is, is that is that wet, wet, wet's ubiquitous version of Love Is All Around means that I I don't really want to hear the original anymore either, which is a shame because I don't think it's a bad song. It's it's like you said, I'm just sick of it. It'd be fun. Wouldn't it be funny if Marty Pello felt the same way and just said, "Oh no, well, I've got to sing that again." And of course. I presume that that the wet 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 might have made some performance royalties off of it, but they wouldn't have made anywhere no, near. Yeah, uh, anyway, yeah. Reg from the Trogs would have made most of that. Mm-hmm. So um, so yeah, I I yes, I if I was Marty Pello, I probably would be sick of it. <laughs> be interesting to see what the performance royalties were for that, because mm. I suppose my uh, my bandmate uh, has written things that she still she said occasionally gets a fifty quid check a year for a, for a couple of plays on Six Music, and we were talking about sort of royalties once before, and she said that you know the songwriting royalties are considerably more than before but i wonder if you if you have a sort of a situation where a record sells and sells and sells and sells by the shed load whether performance royalties actually end up worth having because because you know even if it's only 30 percent of a massive pie it's still 30 percent of a massive yeah. isn't it or whatever the figure is so i don't know but yes it's mm. quite possible that if, if the performance royalties aren't up to much um marty polo might feel the same i wonder if local radio stations feel the same as there's a particular cafe in Bexhill where i work which is one of those very old style you told a story once about the clash defrauding a wimpy somewhere by taking a, yes, a yes, paper right. A, a written order on paper up to the counter well they still do this place here it used to be oh. a week this this and they seem to have kept much of the same practices and they play hard and if i'm ever in there having lunch which i do occasionally i i could hear torn i could hear don't speak <laughs> i wouldn't hear lovers all around that maybe maybe or everything i do for that matter maybe even local radio stations got sick of that because you know ne- i never hear those songs on radio too or anywhere I, I to be fair i deliberately avoid steve wright's Sun- sunday love songs because every song i never want to hear again <laughs> seems to end up on that program so quite possibly they're living a second or third or even fourth life on that program but no not for me I can actually remember the first time I heard my final pick. I was um, driving along a country road in Surrey in October 1975 um, when we heard it on Capital Radio, which was hip and cool at the time. And it sounded weird, uh, innovative and actually quite entrancing. And maybe in those days we didn't really worry so much about making sense of lyrics and uh, Of course, the two-minute songs of the punk era were still a year away. So it's Bohemian Rhapsody. Bohemian Rhapsody sounded like nothing that had come before. It's a and bold ra- choice, Yeah, Rather like your Wet, Wet, Wet Boys. It spent forever in the charts and it became uh, a classic. Somehow, over the years, there's nothing new to find in it. It's clunky, it's cliched, and the lyrics are absolutely absurd. 
is this the real life click off goes the radio <laughs> goodbye bohemian rhapsody it that's my top pick well i and that is a bold choice i mean i i have some affection for it still but i can understand why necessarily you might not what's so interesting is that it's not like you to be to be out of step with the general public not at all i mean i, I know you very much have your finger on the post post or a single time yeah. but Having said that, you know, people seem to have affection to it to the point where I believe it has been number one on four separate occasions in the UK charts. I think when I went to a, a quiz recently, um, I, uh, I, I, we, we said that they it was a what year was this number one? And Bohemian Rhapsody was the point at which we all breathed a sigh of relief because we actually had several different goes at it. So, <laughs> and so it was, it was all right. But yeah, it's like you say, it's, it's. I thought the best comment on this I ever saw was by it was just as a, a sort of an offhand tweet by Dorian Linsky on the the music writer on Twitter who said if you say that you that your favorite song of all time is Bohemian Rhapsody it's like saying that your favorite ever meal is a buffet you're overly impressed by lots of things going on at once and I and I, I speaking as someone who loves songs with loads of sections so loves band on the run loves happiness is a warm gun by the beatles loves paranoid android by by uh, by okay by a sort of okay computer by radiohead and actually the last track that i will pick in the podcast this week has similar kind of goes through phases mm. i really like that um and i and i admire bohemian rhapsody for that i mean it is i don't think it is dated very well is what i would say i do agree with you there it is it, it's kind of melodrama it's very much rooted in its time the only the only way that it did keep it still relevant, very sadly, I think it was very touching when it got to number one after after Freddie Mercury's death mm. from uh, sort of HIV slash AIDS related complications. It was it was incredibly sad, and actually some of the lyrics were very poignant if you hear them in that in that mm. context. But uh, like you say, it it's kind of held up as a classic, isn't it? I mean, it's it's I'm quite it's quite a. a it's quite a fun Saturday night record is what is my view of it. Mm. I, I, I quite like, I mean, it got a second life from good old Wayne's world and the people have in <laughs> the car to it. Actually, that's how I see Bohemian Rhapsody as a kind of a, a sort of a song that you can get a bit drunk and, and sort of sing along to. But if you are the person that is, uh, that is living in the house opposite the pub, when people are singing <laughs> along to it a quarter 11 on a Saturday night, when you're trying to go to bed, I get the point of that. that is quite vexing. So perhaps Bohemian Rhapsody is in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> You can have too much of a good thing. And isn't that the summary of all of these songs, isn't it? It, Even the ones that are actually good at their heart, you just, you know, overexposure to anything is not great, really. Coming next, what's the deal with Anna Meredith MBE? Mm. Um, That's right after a new track from Mama's Gun. When I look over my shoulder, I see a train of broken dreams. Am I getting any closer? Where I wanna be Cause I've never seen the catcher No matter how I try Doesn't mean I wanna be I'm always just one step behind And now it feels like something Is about to change I can feel it coming I can 
absolutely love this band featuring the gorgeous voice of Andy Platts. Uh, this is a new oh. single taken from their album Golden Days out now, Mama's Gun and This Is The Day. I enjoyed that very much. Um, long, actually, long-time listeners to this podcast may just recognise uh, the voice of Andy Platts there, as he also sings with Sean Lee on their project um, Young Gun Silver Fox. And we've played a couple of their tracks over the years on this podcast. And I was lucky enough uh, to be invited to the launch of Sean Lee's new solo album uh, last Saturday in Soho. And it was it was wonderful to see such an accomplished performer in his band in a small club setting. And it showed to me yet again the value of extensive rehearsals, consistent gigging, because Sean Lee and his band, oh, they're so incredibly together musically. It was a great night and a terrific launch of the new album. Sean Lee rides again. Mm, that's a great name for an album as well, because it, it, it's, it's got something of the sort of seventies spin-off film about it. You know, the sort of the, yes. the, 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 the slightly less successful but still much loved sequel to the initially quite successful spin-off of a seventies sitcom. And I like, I very much am here for those vibes. By the way, I like that a lot. Meanwhile, Jules, last week you were supposed to be yourself mm-hmm. out at a small venue, out and about at the old market in Hove. Yes, I was. And this this was the point at which I was going to tell you how excited I was to finally see one of my favourite musicians, Anna Meredith, in person performing at the Old Market in Hove, having got the last two tickets online a few weeks ago. Really excited. And unfortunately, um, coronavirus uh, uh, came to Brighton and Hove. It was evident during the day that there had been some developments. A, a GP surgery was, was closed. The so-called, the poor chap that's now known as a super spreader, bless him, who appeared to do nothing wrong apart from looping life and the minute that he realized something might be wrong to be fair did then sort that you know did then go snap into action wasn't like the unfortunate soul that managed to self-present at A&E with coronavirus having traveled there in an uber I mean you can give out the public health advice you like but it doesn't mean people are going to take it but anyway we we discovered in the afternoon that a GP surgery had closed this super spreader had been in hove and we just decided that it wasn't worth the risk we felt it was irresponsible to travel to another to a city and then possibly bring something back which nobody was aware of given how long the leading period is of, of up to 24 days we felt it was irresponsible to potentially go and spread that around another town which we were traveling back to so unfortunately we didn't get to see Anna Meredith which is a real pity because I'm sure it would have been terrific but I think it I think sometimes you, you have to be you we, we might have been accused of being panicky but I think you do mm. have to show some personal responsibility sometimes and I think if we are going to prevent the, the the sort of the spread of coronavirus I think we have to be more cautious than we need to be and I think there needs to be more that nice man that was a super spreader who immediately isolated himself we need to meet, need more of him and less of self-presenting uber woman i think i think we need to try and we need to try and get it get a grip on it and i tell you what there aren't many reasons that i'd miss a live gig and particularly not anna meredith but i think there are there are times when one has to one has to take precedence so i'm sorry that the what was going to be the quite exciting bit of our podcast is now a rather sort of boring public health lecture but i guess <laughs> that, you know i guess that life takes you in odd directions doesn't it really but i'm sorry to have missed anna meredith She's, as you say, Anna Meredith MBE, and I do have a lot of time for somebody who announces that they, or rather reacts to the announcement that they have an MBE by posting a picture of themselves on Instagram holding a piece of paper with massive big ego written on it as an acrostic. That's someone who I think is is probably still in, still at one with being an ordinary person whose interests apparently include uh, board games, amongst other things. So uh, I think we talked about Pandemic on the podcast previously. It was uh, an interview with Anna Meredith which made me aware of pandemic actually so uh, so sorry not to have seen her live but hey kids don't spread coronavirus is is this week's just say no style message one of the great joys i think of anna meredith and i don't know her work as well as you but the is, is that she doesn't work within boundaries i think in terms mm, of her I, music it's it's impossible to describe it in terms of gen- genres it's not classical it's not or it's not just classical it's not just electronic although it encompasses both and it, it's not pop it's not jazz it, it's sort of like everything and i was listening this week to her latest album fibs and just about every track I felt they could all be film soundtracks. It, it it may sound peculiar, but there's a real strong visual feel to her music. Her songs are like great explorations. Absolutely. Well, she's someone who 
manages to do a lot of things at once very well, like you say. Her background is that she's a, a classical composer. Well, I say a classical composer, a composer with a classical background, probably, if you're gonna if you're gonna be sort of, you know, technical about it. And she is perhaps known to, to proms audiences. I mean, it goes to show sort of how much she's achieved so quickly in that she was commissioned to do a piece at the last night of the proms, which was kind of performed, I think, um, and broadcast across, you know, they had the things in the different parks, if you see what mm. I mean. I think it was at one of, and might have been at one of the park events. Apologies if I got that wrong, but I think that's where it was, um, at the age of 30, which is pretty good going, it has to be said. Mm. And then in 2018, I did a wonderful piece. She was given the, she was given the kind of new com- composer slot for the second half of the first night of the proms at the age of 40, which I just think is phenomenal and she did this wonderful work which is worth checking out on um on I think it's around on YouTube called Five Telegrams which was to commemorate a hundred years since the end of the First World War and it, it looked at communications methods that were used during during the First World War and drew some interesting parallels with the kind of the fake news challenges that we're experiencing at the moment. Like you say, visually, it had lots of, there was loads of, light, there was a light show essentially inside and projected onto the outside of the Royal Albert Hall. They did they did one performance the night before, which was just outside so that you say so you just saw the visuals outside and then they did the same second performance on the first night of the problems with the visuals inside and then the version that you can watch on youtube is is cut between the two so the version that they put up on iplayer is 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 both which i think is good because when we watched it live on on the first night of the problems the combination of the outside visuals is is incredible she she worked with with a with a production company to, to help them do the visuals and that and it, it, it it's such a great achievement i i was i it's hard when you want to like something when you're a huge fan of someone's work you know, there's always that danger that you're just going to say that anything's good and that you're not going to assess it crit- critically. But I do think it is genuinely fantastic. It was it was a piece of music that's not without its challenges. But if you listen to it with the story that she's telling in mind, I think it works really well. So to be able to do that and also and it's interesting, she's always used her sort of composing sort of career as it were and she's been commissioned to do lots of interesting and wacky things she did a a a flash mob in a motorway service station once i think (laughs) Uh, she did a piece of music that was commissioned for lifts in the nhs a piece of music which could be played on park benches you know some really out there stuff i like her um approach um she did a brilliant thing called um she was commissioned to do a a piece of the cultural olympiad in 2012 for loads of kind of school kids and teenage musicians and uh, she called it hands free and it is just about 12 and a half minutes of different clapping patterns, which I love anyway. But I love the fact that it's that the, the idea behind it is that it is a very sort of de- democratic way of, of, of recording music. Because, of course, everybody can, you know, most people can clap, can't they? Obviously, with, with, mm. with a few sort of exceptions sort of around disabilities and things like that. But, you know, not everyone can afford a clarinet. Yet far more people are going to be able to, to just clap and join in, aren't they? So, mm-hmm. so I love that. So she's always used the composer side of her her kind of practice to as she put it puts it to fund the pop music side because the pop music side she's been on moshi moshi since the the early 2010s been making really interesting electronic music and as each album's gone on it's kind of increased in scope like you say and increased in sound i mean i don't know i i hope that this album will be a success there's certainly been a lot of publicity around it it's been album of the down six music there's been you know it was it was voted album of the year in one of the fairly well thought of music free papers i think someone told me that it might have been quite a new loud or some what something like that has given it their album of the year and I, I wonder what will happen now, but certainly when I when I bought um, a vinyl a vinyl record of of her uh, her first album Varmits, um off the back of being reminded to get it off the back of the 2018 um, composing uh, the, the the first night the proms um she still managed to send it to me personally doing her own distribution with a little note that was signed to me saying mm. that she I enjoyed the album which i think is incredibly sweet so who knows if, if if that will withstand hopefully the increased success of her in the future but i'm i'm delighted i think that she seems like an absolutely sort of solid solid good time good time person i think i'm a i'm a big fan and i just think that to to operate at these levels across different things is is, is fabulous it's it's, it's, it's you know it's, mm. I, I hope that she goes on to become one of those kind of quiet national treasures we should treasure her i think mm-hmm. well we'll be back to anna meredith in a moment but before mm-hmm. we go 
Did you add up those Beatles numbers? I did, yes. Let me try and find the figure. I've now got a list of songs I hate, so let me <laughs> let me move over. I ca- oh no, this is the point at which my terrible mass is going to mm-hmm. be exposed. I came to nine hundred and eighty-five. Correct, eleven out of ten. Yeah, I feel like I'm on countdown. That was a, eleven gonna, out of ten for I, you I this have, week. Oh, I have five from the. I have one from the top and five others, please, Terence. <laughs> Thanks very much for uh, listening this week. I hope you got the Beatles numbers correct, just like uh, Juliet did. Yeah, absolutely. Otherwise, we'll see you in hell. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, Thanks to Hilly and Rona as well for their help this week. And as I was saying, I've been listening to uh, Anna Meredith's uh, latest album this week, and I think that's going to feature as we play out. Yes, I I felt that I could at least experience it on this podcast, even if I didn't experience it in real life. And I was particularly sorry to miss out on the performance of this song, actually. Again, it was played on the radio and... I'd heard most of the album, but I, for some reason, I, this song always sounds like it's new to me. It's, it, I think it's an immeasurably thrilling piece of music to the point where I actually cheered the moment that it finished when I heard it on the radio. Because I just, again, it goes through lots of different phases, like we were saying earlier, but I don't feel that is tired. I think that is, I, I love the different, the, the different rhythms that she plays with and, and the way that it builds into this sort of incredible crescendo, really. But, but in a slightly, her music always does stuff that's slightly unexpected to me, I think. So, so I love the journey that this, this goes on. This is from the album Fibs by Anna Meredith and this is Sawbones.
have been listening to a Parish Council production.